youth gang, uh, uh, youth slain, uh, youth gang to be charged, if found guilty, uh, will be charged for murder or something like that. Right. And then I saw their faces. It was the same group of friends that I was supposed to meet Man. at Center Point that afternoon. Wow. I, w- I broke out in cold sweat. Wow. Ooh. You have a story to tell. And just to let you know, the Chris Hansen conversation, you know, we kind of knew. And as we moved along, right. I realized that, hey, you know what? I've got a couple of verticals going on. <laughs> and I don't want to confuse people anymore. So I have a few um, different series covering different things. Right. One of the crazy ones, though, which I love very much, is the one about UFOs and aliens and ET and all that. Okay. You know? And that one is called Euphora, short for UFO Reveal Asia. Because, right. you know, Asians are into this hantu thing. Yeah, know, yeah, they yeah. Don't the really, ghost thing. Yeah, the yeah. ghost thing, and they don't right. really bother about, right. about what's happening in our skies, maybe. Yes, yes. And, and, and I'm the first podcast to do okay. that in Asia, in the English medium. Okay. Then we have some more. Uh, series, uh, a series called I Love My Job. Right. Which there are people out there who do jobs that people don't think about. Or mm. people who've transitioned from maybe... Um, from being an academic or being someone holding a very high position to something that you, to a trade, right. you know, not because they don't have a choice, but because they want to. Okay. Um, then that's another series, uh, that this, the one that we are on right now right. for the Chris Hansen conversation. Okay. This one today is called Shine a Light. How apt. Exactly. So <laughs> when I came up with this idea of for Shine a Light, Shine a Light's purpose is to bring inspiration to people. Right. Through just through, through my guests' stories, mm-hmm. stories that um, have some meaning, some challenge, some difficulties, and how you overcame those. Right. And to be where you are today, a good person, you know, and that if you can do it, so can many others. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose for right. Shine Line. So I'm not all just about for my potty mouth linguistics. <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> it's, it's, I want to have some good out there. Because mm-hmm. okay. community has turned so cynical, it's driving me up the wall. Right. Uh, so I want to spread a little, spread a little bit more goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why you are here. And the funny thing is, just so everyone here knows, welcome to the Chris Hansen conversation. I've been chatting with my guest, uh, and he is a pastor. I got a, I got a, a pastor in the studio. Me, <laughs> can you beat that? Next season, I'll have a Catholic priest, I can tell you. <laughs> um, and I'm happy to have him here. He has a story to tell. He is Leon Chester Stewart. Welcome to CCB TV. Thank you, Chris, for having me here and everybody. Hello. Pleasure's yep. all mine, man. Yeah, Pleasure's yeah. all mine. Yeah. Um, and you reached out to me some months ago Yep. on Facebook. Yeah. And you asked me this question. You asked me, do we know each other? Have we met? Right? That's right. Yep. Yep. And I and I had to hey, who's this guy, man? <laughs> then I went to check your profile and I took a look at your picture, the way you look now, and I went, Oh, I don't think so, right? I just I don't Yes, know. I remember your reply. Yeah. I don't think we've met. Yeah, I don't yep, think yep. we've met. And then when I came up with this idea for this series called Shine a Light, then I found out about your story and I went the first name that appeared in my head was yours. <laughs> so I got to ask this guy, man. Then I checked with Bruce Matthew, and he said, "Yeah, he's got a story to tell you." You know, and Bruce is good a friend. Good old Bruce, yeah. <laughs> good old Bruce, old friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bruce is a friend, and Bruce Bruce told me, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, you should get him on the show." And I said, "Okay, I will." 
And then when I did my research on you, and I came across this young picture of you. Can we put it up, please, Leroy? <laughs> that one. Yeah. And then guess what? Immediately, it, it came hit back. me right in the face. <laughs> I said, I know this dude. I actually know this guy. And then I remember a few things. I don't know whether you recall some things. Well, go ahead and fire away. Let's see if I can remember. Okay. At this age. <laughs> Hello, you're only a year older than me. Well, not yeah. that bad. We'll, 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 keep it, we'll keep it all quiet for now. No, how I've, old we are. I've told everybody through practically ah. almost epi- whole, all, right, all, all right, my right. episodes how old I am. <laughs> uh, I remember Far East Plaza yep. back in the late 80s, if yes. I'm not mistaken, That's in the right. early 90s. Yep. I remember that dude, that picture, yep. that young picture of yours. I remember that Lots guy. of memories, lots of memories. Trust me. Yeah. When I looked at that photo. Really? Yeah. And then you know what? I remember this guy. You were kind of broad, kind of intimidating. But we never had an issue. I've never no, had man. an issue with you. You never had an issue no, with No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. But it's so strange. We didn't talk. Nope. Remember? We see each other. Yeah. And That's you right. would go, hey. Mm. And I'll go, hey. <laughs> and then you will walk past and I will walk past. Yeah. And we do our own thing. Yeah. But you will always. Moving about, looking over your shoulder. Yep. And you were always looking for something or someone. Yeah. I remember that guy. Yep. And I've always told myself, wait wait a second, something's not right here. <laughs> so, I, honest, to, honest to goodness, my memory of you is something like that. Maybe Woodstock. Oh yeah, on the rooftop of yep. Paris Plaza. The sixth floor of uh, yeah. Paris. That's yeah. right. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Y pub. Yes, and then there was the Kiwi pub also. Yeah, yeah. Y pub, the late Trevor Boniface. Yes. Yep. Right. Yeah. So I I encountered you in a few spaces in that place, Far East Plaza, at a time when the Far East kids were dying down. Yeah, it was dying was down nine, between 1983 to 1985. Around, yeah, but I, I got, I met you, fleeting meet, meets that is. Yep. Um, I think about maybe 87, 86, 87. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So it was already, it was tail, it was dovetailing. Yeah, correct, the, uh, yeah. people that were hanging around there. Yeah, 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 yeah. it was dovetailing at the time, yeah, but you right. were still hanging around. I was. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Okay. Um, but other than that, Leon, I don't know very much more. Right. And I'm glad that I don't because I'd like to hear it from you. Sure. The title for today's episode, and I hope you're not going to kill me for this. (laughs) I'm sure you won't. It's that one from gangster to pastor. Oh, that's fine. You're cool with that? I'm cool with that because, um, that's the honest truth. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk honestly. Sure. What were you like back then, man? Well, um, I grew up in a good family. Uh, my family was intact. Mom, dad, you know, my uh, brothers. Um, I was, you know, everything was okay. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we grew up, um, but it was tough because uh, my father fell ill at a very young age. Um, when when we were little kids, he had, a, he had a couple of heart attacks. Right. And so he got really sick and he couldn't work. Mm-hmm. So my mom had to be the uh, main breadwinner right. when we were kids, when we were in, I think, primary school. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had to actually 
um, get welfare, man. Um, yeah, we had to actually go on welfare. Um, thank God for St. Vincent de Paul. They helped us. Right. Yeah, and um, I remember that we also had to get um, school books and and um, uh, pocket money from mm-hmm. the school. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people came forward to help us because of the situation. And um, because, you know, between my two other brothers and myself, I was the very curious one, the one that's always like to try anything and everything. Okay. And um, so I would, I would, you know, I would be the very outstanding guy and I'd be doing a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so um, I always get in trouble. Always, you know. Um, there was one incident that happened um, when I was about eight years old where I actually uh, destroyed, I literally destroyed my mom's fridge. Yeah, because I hung on the door and I swung on the door and the whole, oh, the whole fridge came down. Boy. And she chased me around the house with a cleaver outside of the uh, HDB block on the ground floor. We were staying in uh, Margaret Drive back then. The flats don't exist anymore. Okay. So she chased me around the cleaver outside. The neighbors all came running out trying to catch her. Police cars came. The old Volkswagen. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The old Beetle. Yeah, 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 the right. black and whites. That's right. Yeah. You know, they came around and uh, I dashed back into the house. I hid under the bed in the room. And the cops had to basically tell my mom, put the cleaver down, put the cleaver down, you know, that kind of thing. And that was the, that was the start mm-hmm. of uh, me being too adventurous. And uh, eventually, um, as we grew up, you know, uh, my mom was always on my case, um, always comparing me with uh, other people, other, you know, other friends or cousins, you know, why can't you be like that guy? Why can't you, you know, do this and do that? You know? yeah. So I began to actually have... A uh, very bad um, relationship, my mom. Okay. You know, and so this went on um, for many years. As I grew up, we eventually moved to Bedok, not very far from here. Um, and so, anyway, uh, yeah. And I think it was at the age of uh, twelve, my PSLE years. Yeah, the year, the first PSLE year, where things really got out of hand. Where I was actually uh, not, you know, really fooling around. You know, I was not a bad kid. I was not. It's just that I was very curious and, like I said, I like to do anything and try anything. And so I remember um, in primary six, uh, I met this guy. Uh, I'm going to keep his name quiet. Right. um, Because he's passed on, you know. Okay. Unfortunately. Uh, Anyway, he introduced me to my first cigarette at Mm. the age of 12. Mm -hmm. And I took a puff. And uh, I think that was the turning point. I I would say that was the turning point. Why? Because uh, I kind of liked it. And I began to buy my own cigarettes. You know, back those days, they used to have uh, they used to have the seven sticks in one. Pack. Yeah, seven sticks. Yeah, lucky strike. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and then all the small little <laughs> cigarettes. You know, and so yeah, we used to buy that. And um, I think uh, I didn't do very well. I remember that year, and I I flopped my PSLE. Which school are you from? St Andrews. Ah. I was in St Andrews Junior School. But you were you were living in Bedok. That's right. And you were, you went all the way. Yes, to Pozombase. That. That's oh, right. Oh dear. Yeah, yeah. So right. So anyway, um, so that was the beginning mm-hmm. uh, when I failed my PSL. Of course, my parents were, were really ballistic. They, they had gone ballistic with me. How can you fail? You know things like that. Um, but I had become so uh, hardened already at such a young age. Uh, and then I remember uh, I retained in primary six to retake my PSLE. Mm-hmm. And by then, I was already 13. Okay. Right? Um, and that was my first foray into Faiz Plaza. Wow. Now, what was very interesting, if you can remember, there was this building that is next to the old Lido Theater. The old Lido Theater. I think it was called International Building. Yes. It's still there. Yes. Yeah. There was a Burger King. Yes. At the basement. Right. Okay. So I remember this friend of mine who introduced me to my first cigarette. Uh-huh. He says, hey, you got to follow me down to sa- on Saturday 
and come and meet come and meet a bunch of guys. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, okay, it's you know Saturday we don't we don't go to school. So I followed him down, and I remember as clear as day walking into that place. And in those days, you could smoke in those restaurants. Oh hell yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, I remember I'm sitting uh, going in, and I was looking around, and it was filled with smoke. And I saw this group of men, uh, young men. Uh, right. They were definitely older than me. Okay. And uh, so uh, this guy, he, my, my friend, brings me in. He sits me down and he says, you sit here. I'm going to introduce you to some people. You know? So I said, okay. So I sat down and uh, he introduced me to some of the guys. And then he actually uh, introduced me to the leader of this group. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, um, I want to not say anything about what group this is. Sure. Right? But it was a secret society. Right. Uh, which I didn't know back then. Okay. Uh, because I was so new and you so... You were only 13. Yeah, right? exactly. Mm-hmm. So what happened was uh, I met this guy. All right. He goes by the name of Mike. Okay, and he introduces you know introduces himself to me. He's tall, he's big, uh, and he says, "Okay, you're gonna hang with me today. We gotta go over to Far East Plaza. Do you mm-hmm. know where Far East Plaza is?" I said, "No, I don't know where it is." Mm-hmm. You know, so anyway, uh, I remember sitting at this booth in the Burger King, right, and there were these um, machetes hidden in the booth. Uh, yeah, in the booth like this. They could slot it behind. Slot it behind. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So I was really naive. And I said, what are machetes doing in a booth? <laughs> um, before I know it, they had gathered it and they were actually going to Far East Plaza. For a gang for, clash. Yeah, for a gang clash, for a fight. Right. And I remember this guy, Mike, uh, he held my hand. He says, you're going to stick by my side all the way. And we used the, there was this underpass that was, yeah. we were able to get across yeah. um, where the, uh, it was called Tang, CK Tang's back CK then. CK Tang, yeah. That's right. So we took the underpass, we walked to Fire's Plaza, we sat outside. It was Wendy's restaurant back then. Yeah. Uh, with the steel chairs yeah. and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember um, within a couple of minutes mm-hmm. as, as we stood there, the fight broke out. Uh, and, and I was just standing there and I was watching people running up and down and things being thrown at each other. Uh, I didn't see the, the weapons at all. But right. I, I remember seeing a guy getting beaten up and, and, and I froze. As I stood as a 13-year-old, I froze and I saw the amount of violence that was happening, you know. Right. And the strange thing was as much as I froze, I kind of enjoyed it. It was really, really dark, really weird. I stood there and says, wow, you know. And Mike looks at me and says, you don't go anywhere. You just stay here by my side. Of course, I was I was panicky inside, you know, I was like right. really frightened. But right. he gave me this assurance, you know, and true enough, uh, his gang over, you know, basically they they overcame the other gang, right. um, and and they all ran helter skelter, mm-hmm. and so his gang was left behind, mm-hmm. and then we just walked away. We literally just walked away. Now I won't go into great detail of what happened, but there was bloodshed. Uh, no one died, but there was bloodshed because I saw a few of. The um, the victims from the other gang um, got cuts and all that kind of stuff. And I remember we walked all the way down to Newton Circus, mm-hmm. the Hawker Center. Mm-hmm. And this Mike and his and his and his I think his right hand and his left hand man. Mm-hmm. They bought a round of beers for all these men, you mm-hmm. know. And I and I and I just again sat with him. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and says, "So you ready?" And I was like, "Ready for what? You know, you ready to be part of us?" So I said, can I think about it? Because, you know, I'm, 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 I'm only 13. And then my friend who brought me there, he was also at the table, you know, right. and, uh, and Mike told him, he says, you bring this guy, this young man home. And so we walked away and uh, we went back home. But that 
incident, I think, sort of crafted the path ahead because somehow there was this sort of drawing power it had. There's some glorification. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it felt good. It's a real dark thing to feel, you know. Yeah. And I remember um, uh, a week later, we went back again to Faiz Plaza and Mike was there and the rest of the guys. And so they asked me, you know, you want to hang with us? You want to be with us? And I said, yeah, sure, you know, um, if you don't mind. He said, of course, you know. And the more I, the more I hung out with them, um, the more I saw the power, uh, I would say, power, inverted commas, right. that they carried, the strength that they carried. And it felt good, you know, being with them. And that's where I guess I became very egotistical. Um, sort of, I felt this bravado within me mm-hmm. to, to like, you know, anyone can come and try me kind of thing. And I became very daring. Um, and at the same time, I became very rebellious. Um, didn't listen to mom. Dad was that was really not well, and that was easy with me because Dad was really nice to me. I mean, in this condition, he I, I guess he knew that his time was coming soon, stuff like that, you know. Well, anyway, uh, he he hung on for a pretty long time uh, until I was twenty one before he passed on. But by then, I know uh, uh, he he just didn't have a say to keep up with the action that I was involved in. But Mom was always on my case until I won't come back home at night. And I remember at the age uh, when I was 13, came 14 years old, uh, I remember I walked into the principal's office and I said, I'm done studying. Yeah, I just walked in. I didn't even knock his door. I walked in and uh, he was stunned, you know, and he said, you know, oh, you can't do that. I need to call your parents. I said, yeah, go ahead and call them. I can't give a damn. Go ahead, you know. Mm. And I was so steep in, 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 in the gang. By, I mean, I was so deep in it that I had actually sort of booked myself up where they considered me a fighter. Where okay. if there was a if there was a fight that's gonna take place. You'd be activated. Yeah. That kind of thing. When you left school, when you went into the principal's office, yeah. were, were you in secondary one? Yeah, I was in, I was in secondary I was in secondary two as I retained. Okay. I also retained again in secondary school. Right. right. Yeah. And by then I lost my interest mm. in studying. Mm. And so I remember uh, towards the end of uh, being 14, at the end of that year, yeah. that's when I walked in and I says, no, I'm, I'm to hell with studying, you know. Uh, it broke my mom's heart. I remember she broke down, she cried and found the principal's office. But by then my heart was so hard like a rock and I didn't really care about anyone but just myself. And so anyway, um, I, I left school and I continued with this gang. I continued right. doing a lot of things, uh, um, going around uh, and progressing in fights and then girls came mm-hmm. when power comes the women you know mm. so at such a young age I, yeah. had a, I, had a, I had a lot of girls who came around me you know at 14 yes oh wow yeah yeah okay. um, and so I remember um, I mean it was really really crazy uh, school girls uh, I won't mention which school but, sure, yeah, sure but they will be coming up to me and uh, trying to be frisky and stuff like that at such a young age it was really I was really on the path of destruction. Uh, I think I was, I was just so enveloped in this power and this glory that I had, you know, um, like so, so many people were afraid of me mm-hmm. at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, I remember there was a major fight in center, uh, not center point in, uh, Faiz Plaza where, um, everyone, Mike and all just ran. Uh, it was really huge because there was a lot of bloodshed. It was another fight that took took place, and I remember it was so bad that um, 
we were carrying pages back then. Yeah. And a message came into the pager. It was a code which says, lie low, don't come out. We wouldn't know when we looked at the number, you know. And so I remember we took cover and we stayed away from, from Fize for a bit um, because by then um, there was this huge operations that the, uh, you know, the, the uh, what do they call it? Ang the Red. The yeah, red, yeah. The red. yeah, the Ang yeah, 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 Which is the SOC, they call it now. Yeah, Special the Ops Black Maria, Maria, basically. That's right, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they went around and they were rounding up all these uh, secret society members and stuff like that. So I remember lying low, right? Uh, really low. Um, but unfortunately, uh, by then, I think it was 19, 1985, 86, yeah, mm-hmm. 85, right. where I had to find a job because I had left school, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't do anything. So I worked for a family okay. um, uh, and they were good. They were fiberglass boat makers. And uh, I didn't have any proper educational qualifications right. because I left in secondary too. You know, uh, yeah. I retain. And so I remember working for this family and that was the first time I was exposed to drugs. Yeah. But, but, but with this family? Yeah. yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah. yeah the but, sort of people that hire you as a family. Uh, yes. But and the they, sons were the ones I was working with. And yeah, so they introduced me to, to marijuana. Right. And then um, I got really hooked into it. Okay. At the age of 15. And I started popping pills and trying everything and anything under the sun. Uh, and it just carried on um, uh, right through uh, even to the army. Yeah. But anyway, uh, coming back to 1985, 86, 87, um, a very interesting thing happened in 1987. I'm not sure if you can remember this. It was in the news. Center Point murder. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. Very much so. Well, let me just have a sip of your coffee. Yeah, please do. Well, well let me tell forget, you. man. None yeah, of let, us forgot that. Yeah, so 1987. Yeah. By then, I had joined another gang okay. because I lost track of the rest of the guys. They all went to hiding because of this big fight. Right. So for many years, from 85, 86, it was, I don't know where these guys had gone. Um, so you but, mean Mike and all? Yeah, Mike. They disappeared? And, yeah, they disappeared. Off the grid? Until today. Huh? Yes. No way. Yes, until today, <laughs> I do not know where they are. Oh, gosh. Yes. Wow. Yeah, now it's 2023. Yeah. I do not know where they are until today. There were six of them, the main guys of the group. Really. Until so there must have been really something bad, right? Yeah, really, really something bad because there's no trace of them, you know. And back then, you have no social media, so you can't track them. Yeah. And, and we didn't have handphones back then. So, right. so I remember, uh, yeah, lying low, really bad. And then in 1987, a very interesting thing happened uh, just before the Centerpoint murder. Right. Uh, I was at home. Uh-huh. All right, and uh, I was about to go out and meet this new bunch of guys, friends that I made, and they're also from the gangs. And um, it was a Saturday morning, and so I remember putting my shoes on, and I was it was a HDB flat, regular HDB flat, front door facing, and I got up, just about to go. My mom comes right in front of the door. She stands with her hands right across the door, blocking the door, and she says, "You are not getting out of this house." So I said, Mom, you've never grounded me before. Why are you doing it now? Mm-hmm. She says, I'm telling you, you're not leaving this house right now. Mm-hmm. So I said, why? Because God told me so. And I was like, what? Now, I, my mom my mom has been a Christian for a long time. Okay. So it's like the devil and God living in the house. Me, the devil, my mom, God. Okay. So um, she did. Exactly, she said that she went, she went, God told me. And I, I was like, huh? 
what do you mean God told you? You know, she says, yes, God told me not to let you out of the house. So, of course, I, I got very angry and I just scolded her with all sorts of expletives, uh, English, Hokkien, Malay, the works, you know. And um, she just stood there and she said, if you are going to leave this house, it is over my dead body. Of course, I was not going to kill my mom. Okay, thank, well, yeah, thankfully. Yeah, 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 you know. <laughs> I got, but I got, so, I got so angry with her yeah. that I stomped off into my bedroom, slammed right. the door, blasted my music, took out my cigarettes and, you know, just puffed away. And I was just so angry, but I knew I couldn't do anything because that's one way out. Right. So I stayed in that room, all right, uh, throughout the rest of the day. And then, of course, uh, I came out later on in the evening, you know, and then just did my own thing within the house. And she did not let me go out at all. Mm. She really literally took the house keys and I, you know, I really couldn't leave the house. So anyway, that was a Saturday. So I'm thinking to myself, ah, oh, man, how am I going to meet these guys? Because I told them I'll meet them at Center Point. Right. Okay. We were supposed to meet at, I think, 1 p.m. Right. So Saturday came, gone. Sunday came and gone. Monday came and gone. Tuesday came and gone. And I remember it was a Wednesday. And I was sitting down in the hall and my parents, they subscribed to the Straits Times. Mm-hmm. And uh, I brought the papers in. And when I flipped it open, mm-hmm. I got a shock of my life. Mm-hmm. Huge print. Um, it said something like in bold, like, you know, uh, in, in bold letters, it said something like uh, youth gang, uh, uh, youth slain. Uh, youth gang to be charged, if found guilty, uh, will be charged for murder or something like that. Right. And then I saw their faces. It was the same group of friends that I was supposed to meet Man. at Center Point that afternoon. Wow. I, w- I broke out in cold sweat. Wow. Yeah, I, I was really stunned. And I remember my mom was at the office and I called my mom over the, the home phone. And I said, Mom, did you see the newspapers this morning? Yeah. She says, yes, I did. And I know that those are your friends because she has met them before. Right. And I remember I just went silent on the phone. And then she says, are you there? I said, yes, mom, I'm here. And she said, I told you, God told me not to let you out of the house. Do you understand? And I couldn't answer her. I was dumbstruck because a lot was going on in my mind. I mean, yeah. I, I'm. God spoke to her to tell her not to let me out of the house. And then I see these guys in the papers. Right. And I was, I just couldn't accept it. I was so defiant. I told mom, I said, no, this is rubbish. This is pure rubbish. How can God tell you what's going to happen? Yeah. You know, that was how dark and how, you know, how hardened I'd become. Right. And she says, well, I told you so, son. You know, you just have to listen. And I remember I just hung up the phone without saying bye to her, you know. And, and I was so defiant. I, I had to find my way out to go and see these guys, you know. So I went up, I, I, I decided to leave the house and um, I was trying to see who I can reach out to, you know, to, to find out what's going on. Right. And then I remember uh, I had a page on my pager of a number. I returned a call to this number. And it was one of my friends, another friend who knew this group. Right. And he says, listen, mm. don't go out. Stay at home, lie low, because you're part of that gang. Anything can happen. But I said, but I was not there. I said, no, but they can always implicate and say, you know, things. Yeah, you have a solid alibi. Yeah, I, yeah but yeah. I said, yeah, exactly. I said, I was at home, you know, yeah. and I got proof. Then he said, whatever it is, just stay away. Mm-hmm. You know, so he hung up the phone. And that was 1987 and that thing happened. And I remember um, I just 
decided to, I was actually quite frightened. I actually went, okay, this is murder. This is, you don't play a fool. You know, this is getting serious. And yeah, my mom thought that things would change for the better. I saw a wake up, you know, and, and, and. You mean you didn't? No, man. Oh, come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, National <laughs> Service, National Service came a calling, right? National yeah. Service came a calling. Right. And, uh, I remember, uh, went into the army, uh, and I had the best time of my life in the army uh, because I was one of the very rare um, enlistees of national service that served my whole two years just playing rugby. Oh, for the Singapore Armed Forces Sports <laughs> Association, <laughs> SAFSA. Uh, for yeah, SAFSA. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I played for army formation. Ah, okay, okay, yeah. So, <laughs> so I was very uh, blessed in that way. You right. Know? So, but you know, it, I was still downhill. In national service, I was still smoking dope, and you know, I was. I was really, you were, but yeah. you, they would have, they would have been regular. Yeah, but urine checks. Yeah, and but stuff. I don't know I, because I was never in the unit. I was always out. Oh, yeah, so I got away. Oh, no wonder. Yeah, I did a lot of rubbish in the army. Right. I was still, I was still very much involved in fights and the gangs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then uh, you know it just so it just escalated. I carried on uh, in the army. I uh, you know ORD finished my army in 1990. I went out working, but I was still doping and I was living a life of the prodigal son, really, literally. I was partying every night. I was drunk, falling down stupid, uh, doing a lot of things. Uh, At Hard Rock uh, Cafe. Uh, everywhere, you know, everywhere. <laughs> uh, I was stealing motorcycles to, to oh. joyride, to go home. Yeah, like I'm so drunk, you know, and I don't have cab fare because I've blown all my money on booze. Yeah. Uh, go, uh, look for some motorcycle right. and try to hotwire the bike, you know, yeah. things like that, and then fall over the bike, you know. So I did a lot of rubbish uh, during that period of time, I remember, after the army. Uh-huh. And then uh, I remember um, I got a really good job. In 1992. Yeah. Uh, working with crocodiles. Hey, hang on a second. Can we put that yeah. one up, please? <laughs> Just check that one out, man. Yeah, that's me and Mr. Crocodile. Yeah. <laughs> so you're working with, on, a croc- in the croc- on a crocodile farm? Yeah, in uh, Jerome. In Jerome. It was called the Jerome Crocodile Paradise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that yeah, one. Yeah, so I remember saw the small little ad in the papers. Real tiny little ad in Straits Times. Right. Looking for, and, and I, I remember, crocodile performer. I was like, Crocodile performer? You mean a crocodile can perform? English is pretty bad here. I think they're looking for someone to work with crocodiles. But anyway, I gave them a call and they asked me to come down. Right. So I came for the interview uh-huh. and then I found out what it was all about. You basically were a wrangler. Um, you work in the, in the crocodile farm. You look after them. You feed them. You're, you're like a zookeeper. Right. You know? right. But then they also had what they call the crocodile show. Okay. And I didn't know what that was. And then so I sat down, I remember, and they showed me a video of the show. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, you mean you get to actually literally do shows. You dance with them, you put your head in their mouths, you know, things like that. And you walk on top of them. So yeah. it was like, I mean, I, I'm an adrenaline junkie. So when I saw <laughs> that, I was like, oh, this looks cool. You know, this is, yeah. So so I I, I, I accepted the job and I remember, uh, yeah. And then I, I began working there and I was still doing my, I was still doping on, on, on the site, you know, I okay. kept quiet. And then I remember I was so bold and I spoke to one of the guys there. I said, hey, right. you guys, have you, have you ever smoked marijuana before? Then he looks around and he's like, you got? <laughs> so, man. And that, was, and that was the start of another season right. with these guys. So these these colleagues of mine, we were, we were blowing stuff off every other day. We were getting so stoned going and do these shows with the crocodiles. I mean, we were flying, you know, and then we will buy... Uh, Chinese rice wine, right. you know, and then we'll drink 
you know, they call it bonkilo. That's right, remember okay. bonkilo. So it's like this Chinese rice wine, and then we'll drink it, get so high, we'll smoke, and we started taking tablets, and so we were flying. And right? then you guys were still working with the yes. crocodiles. And yes, the- going into their pens, yeah. catching them. Sometimes you have to transfer them from one from one sector to another sector. And yeah, like that. and so you're we- stoned and yes. you're doing that? yes. Wow. Yeah, so... That was nuts, man. Yeah, it was really nuts. And so that was 1992, I remember. Yeah, 1992. Oh, that was a crazy year. <laughs> and um, But there's a glint in your eye when you talk about this, you know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it brings back crazy memories. You know, it brings back crazy memories. It was, it was really... It was actually a very egotistical job. You know why? Because a lot of Japanese tourists, the girls, yeah. the Europeans, you know, they yeah. come around and say, Oh, you're so brave. <laughs> And they were like, oh, okay, yeah, Tarzan's here, that's Jane, you know. Yeah, I mean, we had that kind of really, really egotistical attitude, you know. And, and I mean, of course, we made a lot of friends with these girls. You yeah, know, I'm pretty we sure. Went, yeah, we went out, we partied. It was really crazy. Yeah. Uh, and so we carried on doing this. And that was all the way, uh, I remember, in January of 1993, where uh, my heart stopped. Not physically. Okay. Uh, I was captured by my now wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, what was very interesting was in 1993, um, I met my wife literally at the front door of my mom's home. I tell you why, because uh, my younger brother, mm-hmm. uh, he had a girlfriend back then. Right. And they were good friends from primary school, my wife and this girl. Okay. And so my younger brother was visiting my mom's place that mm-hmm. particular evening with um, this girlfriend of his. And so... My wife, they made contact after, I think, a very long time, I think since primary school. They decided to meet. And so she invited my wife to come over to my mom's home. Right. And I was there at my mom's home also. And so that's why uh, my younger brother went to pick her up from the Bedok MRT station and mm-hmm. brought her back home. Mm-hmm. So I was sitting down in the hall, uh, just chilling on my mom after dinner. And um, my wife stands at the door and I go like, stop the press. <laughs> Who's that? You know? <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, I mean... <laughs> I do believe it was love at first sight. I do believe it was love. Well, it sounds I, like I, it. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, wow, who is this chick, you know? I right. Mean, yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, yeah, and so anyway, uh, that was, so that was 993. Uh-huh. And, um, and it was a whirlwind romance. Uh, within six months, uh, we got married. Okay. Yeah, after meeting. And so in 93, you must have been 24. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. And yeah. she was uh, she was 20. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who incidentally, I know your brother-in-law. Yeah. He stayed over in my house, my mother's house, one oh. particular year. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> well, guess what? His sister is the one I married. Yeah, well, I can't yeah, guess I that. Saw, yeah, but it was, oh, wow, it was, it was like really crazy. You know, because, okay. yeah, because, uh, yeah, we, we were classmates also. Okay. Yeah, and so uh, he wasn't too happy that was, I was hooking up with his sister. <laughs> I mean, that was many years ago anyway. So, um, yeah, so anyway... Uh, when she met me, uh, eventually she found out I was doping and stuff like that, you know. And I think she liked, the reason why she wasn't so bothered back then was because, number one, she was young. Right. She was 20. And I th- and, and this is what she told me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what she told me. She said um, that she kind of liked my long hair. I had hair back then. She liked my long hair. <laughs> okay, hang on, hang on. Yeah, Can yeah. we put up the one on <laughs> the bike? <laughs> I mean, people got to see this, man, because right now everyone's seeing him without hair. And I see that's Leon Stewart yeah, yeah. on his Harley Davidson. Yeah, that's not mine actually. That's my my brother's Harley. Oh, my other brother's it's Harley. Not, it's not one that you actually stole, right? No, 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 no. 
no, no. So anyway, okay. yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So she she said she liked me because of my hair and stuff like that. So anyway, I think it was also probably she liked my looks or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Now, obviously, we got married uh, very young, yeah. and um, I remember uh, at that time I didn't know this, but the Central Narcotics Bureau mm. were on to me. Oh, yeah. Apparently, they were they were sort of. Uh, they had a sting operation right. watching me yeah. and a few others, but I was like the main guy they were looking at. Right. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, I remember, uh, I, I, you know, at that point of time, they had taken lots of photographs. They visited the crocodile farm and they took lots of photos of, of me mm-hmm. and, and the rest of the guys. Mm-hmm. So that was 1992. So for many years, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96, all the way to 97. So I was still doing a lot of stuff. I left the farm. I left the farm uh, in 1996 right. because uh, things were not going, doing too well. The economy had affected the crocodile farm and they were going yeah. bust slowly. Yeah, so which uh, they eventually did. Yeah, they right? eventually did. Yeah. So I remember I had I was offered another job mm-hmm. uh, in logistics, and mm-hmm. so I left the farm and I moved to this company somewhere in Clementi, and I was working logistics in a warehouse, and I didn't know that yeah that the Central Narcotics Bureau was still tracking me. For so many years. Yeah, for so many years. They're just watching me. Right. And finally, it came, it, uh, what happened was in 1997, while I was at work, um, phone call came in, uh, uh, in the office. Mm-hmm. And uh, the phone call was basically uh, my wife on the phone, very hysterical. She was screaming at me. She says, uh, the central, uh, the CNB, the CNB, they're in a house right now. They're in a house right now. I said, huh? Yes, you brought this shit upon us. They are there now in my house. And then she slammed the phone down. And I, I just broke on cold sweat again, you know. So, yeah, I, I, you know, so the murder thing, years ago, yep. I got away. Yeah. So this time around, okay, no CNB, you know, yep. that kind of thing. And I remember I rushed out of the office. I told my boss, all right, I said, I got to rush back home. My family emergency says, yeah, just go. And I was riding a motorcycle. So I jumped on my bike. I, I sped all the way back home. And then I parked my bike away from my block at a distance. Okay. By then, I had moved to Woodlands. I was thinking of Woodlands. Right. And I remember um, being all stealthy, you know, looking out and making sure there's no one around. And then uh, I remember uh, as as I was as I was uh, looking around, um, I just want to make sure that you know there was no unmarked vehicles and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, around police and all that. And so I went to license plate see where yeah, yeah, right? exactly, yeah. So, <laughs> and then I went to scour the whole car park, you know, yeah. just to make sure. Yeah. And finally, I think about after an hour, I decided to go up to my home. Mm. And when I went up, uh, my mom-in-law was at home and she opened the door. And she says, hey, hi, Leon. Um, hey, there were a bunch of people that were here looking for you. So I said, oh, um, what did they look like? Oh, they flashed their police pass at me. So, oh, okay, uh, how many of them? Uh, there were five of them. So I said, okay, what did they do? They said they wanted to come in and look for um, uh, stuff. I'm not sure what stuff they're looking at. Right. So in my heart... Uh, I was so scared because I actually had some stuff in my room, in my bedroom. Right. And I knew exactly where I'd put it. So anyway, I went into the bedroom. I looked at the cupboard, my wardrobe, and I went, oh, please be there. Please be there. So I put my hand on top of the wardrobe, and I was like, oh, the stuff was still there. Right. But then I went, hang on a minute. If they came to search the house... How come they didn't find it? Exactly. In the most obvious location. Exactly. Right. So I asked my mom-in-law, I said, did you 
Did you bring them into the room? Yes. Where were you standing? I said, where you're standing right now? They asked me to stand there and they climbed on top of the what rope. I said, they climbed? Yes, they did. And what happened after that? They came down. I said, okay. And then? Then they went to your toilet. They checked the cistern. They checked your uh, bamboo holders on the outside. Right. They checked the main bathroom, right. the toilet. They checked everywhere. Right. And then? What happened? But then they said, nothing. They just gave me this name card and said, when you get back home, to give them a call. Now, come on. How can they not? This is our police force. Yeah. They are so good. Yeah. I just, I just, I, you know, just didn't register. How can they miss this out? Yeah. It was a package. Yeah. All right, a package. Like, you know, the... Um, uh, rolling cigarettes, the tobacco. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the that kind, kind of, of packet, yeah, yeah the, the drum kind of, and all that's that. That's right, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. How can they not see it? Mm. Well, anyway, uh, I remember I took the card from my mom and law and I called the police officer and I gave him my, oh, I gave him a mouthful. <laughs> it's a stupid thing to do. I even said, you want me to do a urine test? I'll come down, you know. I was so arrogant. Yeah, I was, <laughs> oh, I was no. so dumb and so, it was ridiculous, you know. Yeah. And, and, and I was high. Because uh, oh, I, yeah, when because, you called, you were high. Yeah, because I'm always, I'm always smoking. Right, I'm always hitting. So I, I, I yeah. So I know it. So basically, it was rubbish coming out of my mouth. Right. Um, you know, mouth engaged before brain does. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. So anyway, the guy was very pleasant. The officer on the airline, he says, "Listen, I don't need you. I really need what I wanted. Thank you very much for calling us back." And he hangs up with me. Right. So of course, eventually, uh, I shared with my mom what happened. Uh huh. And my mom said. Second time, huh? Second time. Well, it's kind of impossible, don't you? Exactly. Think? I mean, it's like hidden. It wasn't even hidden. Yes. It was it's in plain sight. Exactly. And she goes, second time. Now, of course, at that point of time, my wife thought, oh, okay, this is going to be the turning point for my husband. He's going to change, right? Please tell me you did. No, man. Oh. That was 1997, I remember. <laughs> oh, oh man. I became worse. I, be- I, I literally, uh, and I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm okay to share this uh, publicly because my mom, I'm sorry, my wife knows. I had multiple affairs after that. Okay. Uh, my marriage was really going crazy. You know, I, I mean, not my marriage, it was me going crazy. I was having multiple affairs. Uh, and, and, you know, here I am thinking my wife is stupid, but oh man, she's she's smart. She knew everything. She knew what was going on. She knew that I was having these affairs. Any kids yet at the time? I had, I had already my, my daughter and she was... Uh, she was, I think, five or six years old. She was born in '94. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So I, it was, it was really blatant what I was doing. I didn't respect her. You know, uh, I thank God I didn't hit her, but you know, I just didn't treat her well as I'm supposed to as a husband. You know, that kind of thing. And so I was just partying every night, getting stoned, getting high, having multiple affairs and things like that. And it just went on and on and on. And I remember, um, uh, and and this was all related to me. Um, after my, my encounter with God. And, and I'll come to that shortly. Sure. So what happened was, uh, apparently my mom had always been telling my wife, listen, hang in there. Let's pray for him. Let's pray for him. And my wife is not a Christian at all. You know. I, I got to stop you there, man. Sure. You know, I, I'm going to rewind back okay. to when we started this conversation, man. When you said that your mom used to love to compare you to yeah. other people. Yeah. Right. That probably got you kind of riled up, right? Uh, yep. The, the, the sense, the sense to want to prove something, to validate yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that that yep. probably would be one of the reasons that made you also get, have that rebellious streak eventually. Yes. 
But then, as the cause of this conversation continued, your mom became that person who believed with so much faith that God had told her to warn you. Yes. And then still, now, as what you just Mm -hmm. said, she is the one that still has faith in you. Mm -hmm. I mean, the irony. I guess mom's love is a love we could never understand. Mm. You know, mm. and and I remember, um, yeah, I remember her uh, telling, and, and like I said, it was related to me by my by my wife and my mom. That my mom was saying, "Listen, uh, don't leave him. Don't walk out. You know, he will change. We must pray. God will answer our prayers. Wow. You know, that kind of I stuff. Mean, wow, right? Yeah. Like, and and <clears throat> what was very interesting was my because of my mom's faith and 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 my mom being my mom, very a very strong willed woman. She mm. began to share about this character, this person called Jesus to her, you know, and, and she was actually literally talking about the gospel to my wife. And my wife uh, slowly began to believe. But your yeah. wife was not a Christian. She came from a Roman Catholic family. Right. But she was never interested in religion. And you were not originally Roman Catholic? No. Okay. Yeah. So what was very interesting was, uh, yeah. So, so this was going on behind the scenes and I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, I remember uh, we. I just carried on doing what I was doing, right. partying, all right. Mm-hmm. The prodigal son, and it went on until the year in uh, the year two thousand, in January. Okay, <clears throat> we had our second child, our son Gino. Okay, and um, he was born on the twenty eighth of January two thousand. By the way, my daughter is born on the twentieth of January nineteen ninety four. Yeah, Same six day. years apart. Yeah, six years <laughs> apart. Yeah, I, and I know it's God, and, and I, I do believe it is God. So what happened was, um, he had contracted a very bad flu virus. Okay. As a baby. Okay. Don't ask me how it happened. And so anyway, he had to be admitted into the hospital. Okay. Um, and the doctor said, "Listen, we can't administer any kind of medication because he's a baby. Right. He's an infant. Right. We just hope that he will pull through." Yeah. Now, when you hear something like that, uh, and a baby, right? Yeah. You know, uh, pull through. Yeah. So what's the other option? Mm. He's not going to make it. Mm. So I remember standing in the hospital mm. um, and looking at his crib because he had all these machines attached to him. Yeah. And it was such a painful sight. I know. Yeah. I've been through that. And so anyway, I stood there and I remember looked up at the ceiling and I said, you know, if there is a God up there, please save my son. Yeah. I remember saying that. And I was just so egotistical and thinking that, you know, I think he will hear me because I'm demanding that he will hear me. You know, all the pride and all the ego. And anyway, so what happened was we went back home because the doctor said, listen, you no know, point you guys hang around here. Go back home. If um, anything changes, we'll call you and you come back down here. And this, uh, and so of course, we left. And my wife, I, I remember uh, driving. Oh, that drive back home was like the longest drive. She was silently weeping next to me, you know. And I was controlling my tears, and we were so broken because of the situation, you know. And we just didn't talk. Because here I am, you know, still partying and doing all sorts of rubbish out there, right? And then, you know, suddenly there's this crisis. And so anyway, we reached back home uh, and my home phone rang. Yeah. 
uh, it was my younger brother. And uh, my younger brother had become a Christian. Uh, okay. He had become a Christian. And so he picked up the phone. I mean, he called me and he says, listen, um, can I come over with mom and we pray for you and your family, you know, and lift up this crisis to God. And I was so arrogant. I turned, I turned and told him, I said, listen, you can bring any God you want to bring. Just come, you know, no big deal. So he came um, and then they sat down together in a circle with my mom and they began praying. And I was so disrespectful. Instead of joining them in silence or, you know, just just being, you know. Yeah. Reverend. Yeah. Yeah. I was arms folded. Really? Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that's okay. Neighbors doing something funny upstairs. That's all right. <laughs> as long as they're not chopping up anybody. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, uh, I was so arrogant. I was slouching, you know, arms folded. And right. looking at everybody and like, what's going on, man? What's taking so long, you know? And then finally, um, he comes to the end of his prayer. You know, he says, Amen. And I'm like, okay, you know. And then he, it was quite late. I remember in the evening, it was about 10 plus 11. Mm-hmm. So he said, listen, I got to go back home now, you know. So I said, okay. So he gets up and he walks to the door. And just as he's about to exit my front door, he turns around and he points at me. He points at me, literally points at me, you know. And like, nobody points at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was so I was, I was actually about to grab his hand, you know. I thought, was what was he gonna do? But he points at me. He goes, "Listen, trust God; He will heal your son." And and like, oh, okay, if you say so. So I mean, I thought, and despite all that, you were still so cynical. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I was not interested one bit. Right, you know, with what he had. But to you offer. were concerned about your baby. Yeah, but the thing was because my mind was so messed up. Uh-huh. My heart was so hard. But Everything is this my is way your, or the highway. This is your baby's son. Exactly. That's why. And I, you were still hardened. Yes. This right. Exactly. I was oh, wow, still man. so arrogant. Okay. You know, and so I remember he, he 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 puts his hand down and he says, just believe. I said, okay, okay. You know. So he, he goes off. So me and my wife went to bed, didn't talk much at all. We, we went to bed. Next morning we woke up at about 7 seven-ish thereabouts. We went back to the hospital. And uh, I remember walking into the ward. And I was surprised because I looked at my son's crib. He was in this this, this transparent container, right? And he was in this, this container and it's like, hang on a minute. The, the day before, he's got no machines attached to him. Why are all the machines removed? Oh, removed. Why is yeah. yeah? Why Why is the respirator removed? Right. And I was like, I got angry. I stomped out. I went straight to the nurse's uh, desk. I banged the desk. I said, what is the meaning of this? My son, you took all the machines off him. How is he going to breathe? And blah, blah, blah. I just just shot my mouth, my mouth off and yeah. everything else. Yeah. And oh my goodness, it was such an embarrassing scene for my wife. Poor wife, you know. And she was like, stop it. Stop behaving yourself. Uh, stop misbehaving yourself. Stop acting like an idiot. No, she kept, and, and I said, don't hold me. Don't hold me because she kept holding my arm. And then the nurses kept saying, calm down, sir, or we'll call security. So I said, you better explain yourself to me right now. So a senior nurse comes out and she looks at me. She says, Mr. Stewart, at four o'clock this morning, your son began to move in the crib and 
he looked agitated and he was beginning to make uh, a crying uh, distress sound, you know. Yeah. And so we thought he was hungry. We thought he was thirsty. We wanted to see what we can do. We tried to feed him. He didn't want to eat. You know, he didn't want to drink milk and stuff like that. So I made a decision to remove the machines that were attached to his body and the respirator to see how he would respond. After we removed all of that, we found out that he could breathe on his own. And we are just as puzzled as you are. And I was like, oh. Number three. Exactly. But here I have a whole horde of public parents all around because they were all <laughs> looking at me. You're making a commotion. Yeah, exactly. And I was, oh, you could see that. You know, they had that killer look, you know, like, yeah. oh, that, that we can just feel like smashing you up, you know, you crazy Xiao Ang Mo kind of thing, you know. <laughs> so I remember I hung my head down. I was like, oh. Okay, thank you. You know, and I and I walked away. Right. And my wife, I heard my wife say, you idiot, you know. Yeah. So I walked back in and I sat down and I looked at his crib. No. Can't be. It can't be. What Oliver said last night can't be. No. You know, I kept telling myself. Right. He said, believe. You'll be healed. Right. And then, as I was wondering yeah. what happened, yeah. I hear this voice by the side of my right ear. Now, in that ward, it was a high-dependency ward. There are no adults there except me and my wife and outside the nurse's, the nurse's station. Right. These are the only adults that were there. Okay. This voice, right next to my ear, said these words. Leon, after all that you have done, I still love you. I spun around. I went, what was that? I just, then my wife was, what's wrong? So I just heard somebody speak to me. And she says, no, I didn't hear anything. I said, I know what I heard. Someone spoke to me. And then I remember, I began to feel a bit frightened. I had goosebumps. And I kept looking in this direction because in, that's where the voice came from. But behind me were all layers of babies in the cribs. Right. Uh, some of the incubators and, you know, because yeah. it's a high dependency ward. Right. So I remember I shifted my chair mm. nearer to my wife. Mm. So the crib is now here. My wife is here. I'm here. And I'm looking in the direction where the voice came from. Right. And then again, the second time. But this time between my wife and I. Oh. The same <laughs> voice. Okay. So gentle, very loving, very concerned. Leon, after all that you have done, I still love you. And I shouted again, there. Did you hear? Right between the two of us. She says, no, I did not hear anything. And I was like, can't be, I know what I heard. And I was sober. That was a beautiful thing. I was not high. I was not, I did not abuse any substance you from the night before. completely lose it completely. I right. knew exactly what was going on. Right. And then I remember sitting there, so puzzled, so confused. Mm. And then I remember, ah, some of my friends said, if you're stressful, right, if you're stressed out, right, just close your eyes. Oh and just man, relax. you were still doubting. Yeah. So I just, <laughs> so I closed my eyes and I just like, okay, I got to calm down. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm hearing things, you know, maybe I'm, I'm just, you know, all messed up. So I decided to just close my eyes and just be still. And the strangest thing happened. Yeah. When I closed my eyes, uh -huh. I saw myself sitting in a big armchair 
And in front of me was this huge movie screen. And my life began to play out on that screen. Every single thing that I did, good, bad, ugly, was being filmed. The fights that I got involved in, the women that I was having affairs with, the people that I was pushing dope to and smoking with, all that crap was just flooding my mind. But I was in this chair. And then I opened my eyes and went, what was that? It was so strange. Never had that before. So I closed my eyes again. It played again the second time. But this time around, something began to happen in my heart. I felt a physical presence inside. I felt guilty. I felt remorseful. I felt very sad. And I began to silently cry. It just, something was happening to me. I couldn't explain it, but I felt so guilty of all the crap that I was doing. Like I, like there was a eureka moment. I've come to some realization and then I remember as I kept my eyes closed and my eyes were, were, were tearing, I, I just put my hands up like this, you know, and I kept doing this. I just kept doing this. And I was thinking, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And then I hear the voice again, but this time it's very different. It says, give your mom a call. Yeah, give your mom a call. And so I just stood up. Why was the voice different? You said No, different, different as in... As in the words were different. The words are different, okay. Yeah, but it was the same voice. The same voice. Right. Give your mom a call. Same gentle voice, right. but different words. Okay. So I got up, and then my wife looked at me, where are you going? So I couldn't explain to her what was going on. So I just told her, I said, I'm just going out to get a cup of coffee. Right. So I exited the ward, and I went down to the lobby, and I saw the payphone there. Right. And I, yeah, so I called my mom, and... Yeah, she picked up the phone and then she says, Hey, hi, son. Um, how is uh, baby? Is he okay? I say, Mom, he's breathing on his own. Then she goes, Oh, that's good. That's good. I say, Yeah, the, the nurses are also kind of puzzled that he's breathing on his own. But that's very good news. That's very good news, you know? Um, and then I say, Mom, um, I got to tell you something. She says, What? I say, Mom, I heard this voice. Then she said, what do you hear? I said, I know exactly what I heard, mom. And I'll tell you what I heard. All right? Help me hear. What is it? I said, I heard these words. Leon, after all that you've done, I still love you. Suddenly she shouted at the top of her voice. She shouted, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And of course I was like, what? Mom, What's going on? Why are you screaming? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And then she went silent. And then as I was trying to hear what was going on on the other line, mm-hmm. on the other side of the line, mm-hmm. I heard her crying. Give me a moment. Sure. Take your time, man. Yeah, so she was crying on the other end of the line. And as I heard her crying, I also cried. I asked her, what's going on, mom? And she says, son, for 18 years, for 18 years, I've been praying that Jesus will speak to you. 
Anna was just silent for the very first time. I didn't argue with her. I didn't say anything to her. I just kept quiet and yeah, and we were just laughing and crying on the phone because she was so she was so elated and I was laughing, I was crying and she was laughing and it was really f- quite funny. And then I said, "Mom, what?" And the first time I said, "Mom, here I'm asking her, you know. Half the time I'm rebelling against her, right? Yeah. Now I'm asking her suddenly, what do I do?" <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> and then she says, "Listen, don't worry. Um, we'll bring baby back home first. Once back home, I will introduce you to some pastors." who will talk to you and you share your experience with them and you know just they will tell you what needs to be done and stuff like that right and then i said mom who spoke to me then she she burst out laughing she said jesus la god la spoke to you she says really yeah she said yes because i believe he's the one that spoke to you because i've been praying to him oh okay you know all right so I remember I hung up the phone and I did something really crazy. <laughs> so I hung up the phone and I looked around the lobby. I walked to the center of the lobby right. of KK Hospital. Right. And I looked around, make sure there's nobody, you know. And then I looked up to the ceiling. I said, okay, listen, uh, my mom said, uh, your name is Jesus. She says that you are God. If you are truly real, show me yourself. I said that. Okay. I'll never forget saying that. <laughs> never ever challenge God. <laughs> yeah. Because he will show up big time, you know. And what do I mean by big time? Well, that was the turning point in mm. the year 2000. Uh, somewhere in February, I remember. Early part of February. And so, um, what I mean by he shows up big time is because after that, the first three years of my journey uh, in the Christian faith, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it was really a struggle, a struggle and a challenge. But he actually showed up, not physically. Yeah. But I remember my heart began to change slowly. I became, um, I, I became softer. Right. You know, and I began to understand um, and become very sensitive to things around me. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. and 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 I remember uh, even my drug addiction left me. Really? Miraculous. Yeah, no, and nothing is wrong with my organs. No withdrawal symptoms? No, nothing. man. No. You, you just dropped it like that? Yeah, just like that. After all these years? Yes. Yeah. Just like that. Being stoned every day? Yes. Yeah. No, nothing? Nothing. Yeah. Cold turkey? Cold turkey. No cold... I mean... I mean, I, 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 I mean cold turkey, but there were no, no, e- yeah, no, no effects, yeah, no exactly, side effects. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and I remember... Um, uh, yeah. It's, so my, my life had began to drastically change. The choices that I began to make were more meaningful. Mm-hmm. I became, and I, and I even saw my wife in a different light. Like as if a, a pair of curtains were pulled off or veiled, you know? Yeah. Pulled off from my eyes. Uh, I would say my spiritual eyes because suddenly my wife became so attractive and not the, I'm not talking about the external beauty. Right. I'm talking as a person. As a person. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was so so strange, mm. uh, and I was even able, you know, I thank God for her because I was able to actually go to her and say, "I'm so sorry," and you know, ask for forgiveness and all that. And and you know, things began to change. Uh, my daughter who was already by then looking oh, that like that is very different. You know, things are beginning to change. And of course, the two greatest witnesses are my mom and, and my wife because they saw that happen. Now you know, then then uh, yeah, so then uh, ministry opportunities opened for me prison ministry and, and you know, things like that, you know. So it that was a turning point in the year 2000. 
mm-hmm. where things begin to change. Now, is it a um, journey of, uh, is it a smooth journey? No, it's not. Why? It's because when Jesus came into my life, he didn't guarantee me a smooth, everything's all hunky-dory kind of journey. You will still face challenges. You know, as the Bible says, there's a part of the Bible that Jesus says, listen, um, you know, uh, in this world you have many troubles, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So, so I began to understand, oh, okay, so I just plug into him every day, you know, and just, you know, live by his grace, his extended grace over me. So it's been a, a very, very interesting journey. And the transformation is not complete. It's mm-hmm. an ongoing transformation for me. Right. Uh, I'm still Leon. <laughs> of course, I don't, drug, I don't do drugs anymore. I've given up drinking. I don't yeah. smoke anymore. You know? You're not the guy that goes out there look, looking for no, a fight. No, man. No, man. Uh, no, no, <laughs> well, no. You're still the guy that loves bikes. Oh, I still love motorcycles. <laughs> I still love bicycles. I love anything two wheels. You know, I still love anything two wheels. Yeah, but I think my... I, I, I began... You know, I've, of course, there was a lot of regrets, right. uh, especially the tattoos on my body. Why? No, um, yeah, because when I okay, now this I gotta explain to you. When I put the tattoos on my body, yeah, it was because I had a very bad low self esteem. My mom was always knocking me down, yeah, and so I felt oh, okay. Maybe I put more garang, you know, that kind of thing. Well, it was pure stupidity to me. To well, me. I got ink. No, no, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying anything <laughs> about your ink, but for me personally, yeah, you know, it, it was such, it, it is such a regret. Why? Because uh, I like what my son told me. My son, who is now 23 years old. Okay. Uh, the one that was sick as a baby. Yeah. He told me, he says, no, dad, if God wanted you to have tattoos, you would have come out of mom with tattoos. <laughs> you know? I mean, out of, out of mama with tattoos, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was like, mm, okay, it makes a little bit of sense there. But, you know, but I personally felt that I did all of that out of stupidity because I okay. wanted to be somebody right. whom I thought was supposed to be that Leon. Yeah. Right? Sorry. Yeah, that Leon. Yeah. But that's not the Leon that God had built me to be. Right. So I had that regret. Mm. But you know what? I have had been encouraged by many people that I've met, uh, people in the church and outside of the church um, who know my story. And they say, hey, listen, God never wastes anything that he makes. And I was like, wow, what do you mean? He says, you were built by God and this is who you are. You know, God has made you. You made mistakes, yes. You tattooed your body. You took drugs. You did all of rubbish. But he redeems what was lost. And to him, it's not lost. He now uses it for his purpose and yeah. his plans. Yeah. So I didn't see that, you know. So, right. uh, so, uh, so it's only, it was only through my journey of faith that I began to understand. Oh, okay, you know. So, yeah, so that's why a lot of people, when they see me, they say, oh, you're a pastor, but you got tattoos. What's the catch? <laughs> and that's where I say, okay, this is my story. And it, oh, wow. How you know, many years yeah. did it take for you? I mean, you made a decision to become a pastor, right? No. I'm, ah, hang on a minute. This is very interesting. <laughs> I never, ever prayed a prayer to ask God to make me a pastor. Right. Uh, never. Mm. But something happened in 2003 at a conference mm-hmm. where I'm not sure if you heard of, uh, have you heard of people like they prophesy. They, they speak over your life. I'm not sure if you heard of such things. No, not... Not, no, no, not fortune-telling. Yeah, okay. okay. But So anyway, mm-hmm. there was this visiting pastor from Canada. Right. And um, I was at this conference, mm-hmm. and he comes up at the mic. He's about to start his seminar. And he looks across at me. I'm sitting in the front row. Right. And he says, hey, you, what's your name? Then, I, of course, I turn around, and he goes, no, you, you, you. Me? I said, yeah, you, stand up. 
So I stood up and I said, my name's Leon. Mm-hmm. How can I help you? And this is a conference where there were about 300 people right. uh, gathered. Uh, this was a church conference. And this pastor basically told me in my face that there's going to come a time where God was going to use me. He's going to bring me to places where the church can't, uh, the church has never been before okay. or doesn't go in and penetrate. I didn't understand what that meant. And so uh, it is many, many years later that I began to understand um, what he meant, that there was going to come a time where God was going to, God was going to appoint me as a pastor mm-hmm. um, to work. Um, mission work. Yeah, mission work. And so <clears throat> I can't go into great detail. Sure. But uh, I'm, I'm also involved in a, uh, a capacity in the Changi prison. Right. Um, where they call it the special handling unit. Okay. And these are men awaiting judicial execution. Okay. Okay. Um, Those in death row. Yes. So I can't. I can't say anything else. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, so I never saw this coming, and so God has used. Um, God has used me um, not only there but other places within the church, and so I never woke up one day and says, "No, I want to be a pastor." No. Um, it was furthest from my mind. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Because the only experience I have, honestly, is logistics. Okay. Yeah. But you went to do a diploma in um, in theology. Can we have that one up, please, Leroy? Yes. Oh yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yep, yep. So yep. now it's more than just logistics, man. <laughs> yeah, this is really by God's grace, to be honest with you. I mean, with someone who had only second lower secondary education, mm. um, it was such an honor and privilege to go up there and to receive that. Yeah. Uh it was five long years though, because it was part time, I was doing part time. Right. And it was such a blessing to be able to get the diploma mm. in theology. Some yeah. of you, some of the things you you said, you know, in your whole story, you know, it's so wonderful to hear, honestly, and it's, it's it really is inspiring. Um, Thank you. And frankly, I, I some of the stories, that, some of the things in your story resonates with me. Uh, I had my son. Uh, okay. He he was in very bad shape. Same oh. thing. Oh. I think what your son Gino had was RSV, oh, okay. respiratory sensitive virus, which is that bad flu. That usually kids get mm-hmm. at hospitals, um, and he was hit by Kawasaki disease. I see. So I understand that pain, man. Okay. And you see your kid with tubes, helpless. Yeah, helpless, man. I mean, that was that would that broke me. Mm. That broke. I me. I would think so. It'll break any yeah, any any, yeah. any guy, any dad. Yeah. Know? And I just want to ask you, out sure. of curiosity, how did Jesus sound like? <laughs> Well, def- I mean, definitely I mean, not like us. Timber-wise, timber. How's timber like? How's his accent like? Oh, okay, so I've never heard it audible again, uh-huh. but I will tell you this. It was a very firm, uh-huh. but a very gentle voice, uh-huh. um, mid-tone. Mid, mid-range. Mid-range, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And, 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 and Nah, I couldn't make out the accent. Uh-huh. But it was just, you know, it was so gentle. I think that the one thing that I truly believe that happened that day in a hospital was when he spoke, mm-hmm. I think it was just pure love coming true. Which you can me. sense. Yeah. Straight away. I, I tell you why. Because mm. as much as I was such a prodigal son, right. he didn't address all the sins that I've been doing. Mm. He said, Leon, mm. After all that you have done, I still love you. Mm. And sitting in the armchair watching that movie of all the things that you've done in yeah. your life that was wrong, 
funny enough, over the past two weeks, I mean, I've been reading stuff, you know, every now and then I get on my phone, get on my socials, and then you see people give testimonies about near-death experiences. And so many of them actually say that they see their lives flash and the things that they've done to people and how, and then they feel the guilt, Mm -mm. you know. So when you mentioned this, like, hey, this sounds familiar. I just, I just read this or saw this right, somewhere right. a couple of times right, or, uh, right. over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, it, was, it was like, whoa, hang on. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that was my experience, and yeah, um, I, I really, I really can't explain until today. But I know for a fact that you know I've become so sensitive. Um, but at the same time, I yeah. also realize, yeah, that. You know, as much as as, as as God has given me the second chance, uh-huh. I have to give others the second chance. And that's why, you know, you, when you mentioned about, oh, that's, uh, you don't go around hitting people or finding trouble and stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's it's so strange. Yeah. Yeah, but it's so strange, yeah. So um, is there a message or piece of wisdom you'd like to share with our viewers, listeners, you know, particularly those who might be grappling with their own challenges and seeking a way forward? Well, on a secular basis, sure, first. Yeah. Sure. I think you need to look for the trigger point. Mm-hmm. Why you are where you, I mean, why, where, why you are where you are at. Right. What has happened. Right. Uh, trace back um, to the point where it you know, all went wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and sort of realign yourself. Try to find out really where it went wrong mm-hmm. and go back to that point and sort of get it realigned. Um, by the end of the day, um, for me personally, um, I know that I cannot help but say that my own realignment is because of what happened to me. This, this, the supernatural encounter. Oh, man, it, it 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 took it took the big boss himself to yeah, come. <laughs> yeah, the sort of like you know really hit me and, and speak to me. Yeah. But you know, I I, I mean, I, I want to open this to all of you all who are out there. You mm-hmm. know, if you guys are. Struggling, and if you've seen this this podcast, you've heard me, and you want to talk to me, you can get in touch with Chris. You know, I, I'm not I'm not selling or trying to sell koyo. Uh, you know, that's <laughs> what they say. But if you need to talk to somebody, mm-hmm. I, I would be more than help, happy to. Okay, great, that, great. You know, because everyone's different. Great, yeah. We, I've, I've actually designed just to end the show. Oh. I've actually designed something or produced something. Oh, okay, a very short little snippet to end this episode. Right. You will see it. When the episode does air, oh, so okay. it's done for you. Oh, yeah. So it's uh, it's kind of fun. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. So thanks so very much, uh, yep. Pastor Leon Stewart. Thank you so much for being here. No, thank you, Chris, for having me. It's, and for, it's such a riveting story. Man. No, for allowing me to share, man. No, yeah, no, yeah. not at all, yeah. not at all. Thank it's you. such a riveting story. It's so good to hear all that. You know, it's it's thank nice. You. It's really nice to hear. Thank really. you, thank you, and congratulations. Thank you, sir. Right, everyone, I hope you've enjoyed this episode uh, of Shine a Light on the Chris Hansen Conversation with Pastor Leon Chester Stewart. No, I am not evangelizing. And yes, the show is still secular, okay? But this is a story worth telling, and it's a story worth hearing and listening. So uh, until next time, whatever it is, stay good. I'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.